Now, let me read to you our text beginning at verse 21. Now, gang, this is what you would call a dense text. (laughs) Um, So, pardon me, pay attention and see if you can't pick out the themes that are in this text as I read it. Uh, There's a couple of things in here that are I don't know what you'd call them other than dense, but we'll, we'll try to address them in a moment. We're starting at verse 21. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures steadfastly forever. (laughs) Guys, um, we are looking at a message a sermon, um, the author of which is, of course, God. It starts really in verse 17, goes through verse 38. The spokesman or the mouthpiece is Ezekiel. But this is a message that God has for Israel. Last week, we looked at the first section of it, which has to do with the sin that prompted God to punish Israel into this Babylonian captivity. But there is more. That is not the end of the sermon. Um, That is not all that God has to say. There is about to be the introduction of hope in the midst of this sermon. So the text, and, and thus the message, is about to pivot. There is a hinge on which this message will turn and take us deep inside the gospel. Now, I want to show you that hinge. I want to show you that pivot. I want to show you how the author does that or how God in his message does that. It's in verse 21. It's with the conjunction, but... Gang, um, it was it was Martin Lloyd Jones that first, where I first heard of the of the glory of conjunctions. Uh, I was studying um, Romans chapter three in a Martin Lloyd Jones commentary, and he pointed this out in Romans three. Maybe you've seen it before, but in Romans three, beginning in verse nine and going through verse twenty, there is this doleful description of the pagan life or the or the pagan mentality. And and it concludes with this, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. (laughs) 
Well, that's it's pretty doleful, all right. No hope in that. Oh, my. Nobody justified in his sight. And then we come to verse 21. And he says, but now. So you see what happened in that text. There is this description of the pagan and um, leaving us without any hope. And then with this, with this but now, the whole message pivots and turns. Paul does that in Ephesians 2. He says, um, and you were all by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We're a bunch of children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then he says, but God. Folks, that conjunction but is, is the introduction or it's how the, uh, the gospel is introduced. You, you're, you're getting a contrast. The contrast begins in verse 21. We have already seen in verses 16 through 20 what sin did and why God punished it. And then we come to verse 21. But. And then the message takes off in another direction. Um, Now we're going to be told what God is going to do about our sin. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is where I think you might be in for a little bit of a surprise. Ready? Take a look at verse 21. And I had concern for... How would you finish that sentence? What would you think would come next? I had concern for the sufferings of my people. I had concern for the state of the world. Didn't say that. Look at what it does say. For I had concern for my holy name. Guys, Having seen in the first verses 17 through 20 what prompted God to punish Israel, the next thing that we need to know about the gospel, which doesn't seem to get factored in very often in evangelicalism, the next thing that we need to know is that salvation is altogether... In spite of us. Did you see this? In verse 21 and 22. But I had concern for my holy name. Which you profaned. Verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God. It is not for your sake. O house of Israel. That I'm about to act. But for the sake of my holy name. Gang, the fundamental reason given for God's working on Israel's behalf 
is not grace and mercy, although it is very gracious and merciful. The fundamental reason given for God acting on behalf of Israel is to uphold the sanctity and greatness of his own reputation among the nations. Did you see how often that among the nations thing was said? Gang, God is saying, I didn't, I'm not doing this for your sakes. My concern is for my holy name. I do it in spite of your sin. I'm going to do this great thing for my name's sake, for the fame of God among all the nations. God's purpose is to gather a people that will advance the sanctity of his name. Now, guys, let let that sink in just for a second. (laughs) Do you see how that shifts the conversation, or at least the conversation that we so often have in evangelicalism? Let me me try to illustrate. This is not a very good illustration, but it's the best I could do. Um, Here's something that we hear in evangelicalism quite frequently. Some version of what I'm about to say, this is what we hear. We hear... um, We saw 500 decisions for Christ last year. Or some version of that. Now compare that to this sentence. God brought 500 people to himself last year. Do you see the emphasis that is different in those two sentences? We saw 500 decisions. The emphasis is on the decisions. Something that a man did. But this other sentence is the the emphasis is upon what God did. Gang, the bedrock of God's message is not God's allegiance to us. but God's allegiance to himself. Gang, um, if you know the name John Piper, if you know that name, John Piper became kind of a household theologian, a theological name among evangelicals with the writing of a book back in 1985 called Desiring God. And what I'm saying to you is that that's what's in this book. Go read it. (laughs) But, But it's... It's a theme that's found elsewhere in the scriptures, guys. Listen to this. This is 1 Samuel 12. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. It has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. How about the Psalms? Psalm 106. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake. 
<clears throat> Guys, God has an inexhaustible enthusiasm for the fame of his own name among the nations. And if you'll read the book of Revelation without trying to figure out all the end times, you'll see that theme again and again. Gang, <clears throat> does all of this sound rather foreign to you? Um, unusual, maybe a bit shrill. Do you know why I think that is? I think that in most conversations about religion that we're in, at the center of those conversations is always man. And then we come upon something like this. And this statement moves man aside and places God back in the center of the conversation. Guys, doesn't it just make sense to you that that would be right? Doesn't it just make... I mean, don't you just think that's the way it ought to be? That, that God ought to be in the center of all this discussion? You see, what men who are spiritually dead cannot do... God is going to do. For his own namesake. And every time he does it, the power of God is on display. So that means... That salvation is all of God, which is what Jonah said while he was in the belly of a whale. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Here's one that I, I, I couldn't resist reading to you. This is in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. And it's interesting that it's being sung by the multitudes in heaven. You know what the multitudes in heaven are singing? They're not talking about, I have decided. They're not talking. They're not, that's not what they're singing. Here's what they're singing. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. <laughs> Guys, the salvation that we want to present to the world through the gospel is a salvation that is entirely of God's doing. The righteousness that's necessary, he provided. He prepared um, a, a, a righteousness for an unrighteous people. He has made available that righteousness. He thought of this plan. He, he, he initiated this plan. He executed this plan. For his own namesake. And yet, 
the dominant idea in the world of evangelical conversation is that man makes himself a Christian by living a good life or by doing something or going to get baptized or my brother and sister in Christ Christian salvation is to vindicate the great name of God that's what this text says I will vindicate my it doesn't vindicate me Salvation, at its base, is not about me. Making me happy or giving me a good life or a prosperous life, although it does often do those things. It is about bringing great glory to the God who thought up this whole idea, planned it, and then executed it, driven by an inexhaustible love. Guys, Jesus says that a couple of three times in the Gospel of John, John 3, John 5, John 8. The glory of salvation is that it sets forth the praise and attributes of God. God's ultimate goal is to preserve and display his infinite greatness and worth to display his glory. And, and, and look at the text, verse 23, so that the nations will know that I am the Lord. Guys, do you know how many times that language of that they will know that I am, do you know how many times that is found in the book of Ezekiel? Neither do I. <laughs> I didn't count them. But I did count them on these two pages. In my translation, these two pages. On these two pages alone. Do you know how many times God says, and they will know that I am the Lord? Six. On two pages. At that rate, it appears in the book of Ezekiel, hmm, I don't know, maybe a hundred times. You can count them this afternoon if you like. <laughs> when I get done with my work, says God, everybody's going to know that I am the Lord. Every time a sinner becomes a Christian, God's power is on display. Gang, you know, that's what Paul said in Romans 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for in it is the power of God. Gang, as you sit there, if you know and love this Jesus, you're just this little piece of display of the power of God. Because you would never be in this position had he not exercised that power. And this salvation vindicates his, his name, his justice, his righteousness, in that the only way that he could pull it off required that his son would die in our place. Now, guys, 
Let me tell you why you should love this theme. Let me tell you why this ought to this ought to feed you at the base of your soul. A couple reasons. Number one, if all of this is true, and it is, that means that the plan of God to save cannot fail. And all of you who struggle day in and day out with your own sense of safety and sense of assurance, if this is true, then what he's going to do in his people cannot fail. Am I going to make it to the end? Well, if he started it, you're going to make it to the end. The other reason that we should love this theme is that it tells us the very purpose of our existence. You know, ladies and gentlemen, if God is determined to... um, Uh, display his glory across the universe, (laughs) then I need to join him in doing what he's determined to do. And guys, we've been saying that to you. I mean, you've heard this a million ways, not just here, but you remember it, that number one catechism. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You know, Piper in that book I alluded to earlier, he changes that. He changes one word, and I kind of like the way he changed it. Um, The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. He changes the and of all words. He changes it, and it, it reads like this. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So if, if God is going to do all this, then he's not going to fail. Or my salvation is not going to fail. And now I know what he wants from me to join him in, the, in making sure that the nations know that he is the Lord. Now, guys, that that all brings us to verse 24. And I'm telling you, verse 24 is this sweet little Old Testament statement of the gospel. Let me read it. And I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Gang, the first thing that you see here in verse 24 is that the gospel or that the, the salvation that God is going to bring about, nothing less than the power of God could do it. Well, Dr. Young, I don't see anything there about the power. Yeah, yeah, you do. Look, he says, I will take, and I will gather, and I will bring you. And why is God going to do it? Because no one else can. I can't make myself a Christian. You're not born one. Or I have decided. I I can't breathe life into a dead soul. 
into my dead soul. So God does. And the thing that we must never forget about that is that he does it for his own namesake through the peculiar work of God the Holy Spirit. And when God the Holy Spirit performs that work, the change in us is radical. Guys, me and the prodigal son, <laughs> I mean, we were over in the faraway country along with some of you. That's where we were. Yeah, boy. We were living it up, we thought, over there in that foreign country, you know? And so, uh, but now, I'm in a new land. How'd you get there? I will take. I will gather. And I will bring you into an altogether new land. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians. He says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. I left that land. I don't live over there anymore. No, no, no. I used to live in that slavery. I don't do that anymore. I'm in, a, I'm in an altogether new land. I'm delivered. I needed to be wrenched from my captors who were ignorant of God and enslaved to sin themselves. And the only one who could do that was this God. And so God steps in and says, I'll rescue you. And it is only he who can accomplish that rescue. And ladies and gentlemen, if you sit here today as a redeemed soul, it's because God rescued you, wrenched you from the hands of your captors in that faraway foreign country. Like he did the prodigal son. He brings us back to the place where we, ought, we were meant to be. Like the prodigal son. Be becoming a Christian isn't me becoming a bit more moral or adding church attendance to my, to my schedule. Becoming a Christian is coming back home. It's leaving that heathen land and, and going back to the Father's house. It's a restoration, a restoration to God, and that deliverance belongs to the Lord. And I cannot take any of the credit for it. Folks, I don't belong in Babylon. Neither do you. My sin got me over there. I belong in Canaan. And so, for his own glory, the glory of his own name, 
He has performed this radical work of grace in someone as undeserving as I am. And wrenched me out of that foreign land and put me in a new one. And through people like us. The nations are going to know that He is the Lord. Well, golly gee, Dr. Young, I mean... Is this some kind of a new theological hobby horse that you're on here? No, no, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, um, I'm not so much trying to change the way you talk. I'm trying to change the way we think. Because as you know, as Tozer said, the most important thoughts we think are the thoughts that we think about God. And seeing this, it just might put us in our place. And it might move God closer to the place that he should have had all along. And if we do that, that is not simply going to change how we talk. It's going to change how we live. You know... So that the nations might know that Yahweh is Lord. Dear ones, if you this morning are out of the house of bondage, out of the house of slavery, out of Babylon, and you're back home in the promised land, it is because God, for his own name's sake, has gathered you to himself and he will never let go of you and through those people that he has gathered the nations are to know who did it how he did it and why he did it he did it for his own namesake that we had profaned among the nations so now that the nations might know that he is the Lord. Are you there? Are you in Canaan? Or do you still dwell in Babylon? The message of the gospel is come home. To where you belong. Our Father, would you um, use this text to assert your sovereignty all over to your people? 
And might we once again be reminded that we belong to you because of the grand work that you did. Even the faith that we exercised was a gift. A gift that you gave us. So Father, we glory in what you have done. Do it again. Do it over and over again. Do it in this room. Do it in our city. Bring about righteous change so that the nations might know that you are the Lord. We glory in being able to participate in that grand project. We make our prayer, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.